This is Design Matters with Debbie Millman from designobserver.com. On this program, Debbie Millman talks with designer Alex Center about his career working for the beverage brand Vitamin Water and where his love for brands comes from. When I was growing up in the 90s, I felt like the brands that I loved were somehow getting me to wear these brands and to love these brands. And I'm fascinated by that, and I want to be a part of it. Here's Debbie Millman. Here are a few facts about Alex Center. He interned as a designer for the New York Knicks and has a low opinion of Isaiah Thomas. He lives in Brooklyn. The rap artist 50 Cent once told him, you must think you're pretty special, which made him sweat. He occasionally does improv comedy. He also works for Coca-Cola as their lead designer for brands like Vitamin Water, Smart Water, and Powerade all of which brings him here to talk to me today. Welcome to Design Matters, Alex. Hello. So last week, I happened to read on Facebook that you were pumped to be next week's guest on Design Matters, and you asked your followers if you should go full Kanye or half Kanye. What did you decide? I decided that I should probably only go with a quarter Kanye. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had a strange suspicion you might ask that question <laughs> when I saw that you requested my friendship on Facebook the other day. <laughs> and I'm a big fan of Kanye West, and he has been doing a lot of interviews lately talking about CEOs of corporate America and design and his his passion. Yeah, his and ideas on branding. His ideas on branding. And he talks <laughs> to Harvard students, and he is... Um, he's a passionate guy. I think I'm a pretty passionate guy, but I uh, I, I don't plan on calling out uh, any Nike CEOs or any uh, Hedy Semaine or anyone like that today. But I'm, uh, I'm he is an influence of mine, and so I uh, so quarter I, Kanye, a quarter Kanye today. That's all I'm bringing. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I, will, okay. I will try. I will say to Kanye, I will try to to uh, to do all right by him. So you grew up in the town of Oceanside, New York, which, according to your official bio, is home to the world's second Nathan's famous hot dogs. Is this a place you frequented often growing up? It was. Um, Nathan's famous hot dogs are delicious and they have great fries and they had a great arcade. This was a place that I would go to pretty much every Friday night at, uh, you know, during high school and we would play Daytona, you know, arcade games, and uh, this was one of the uh, the monuments of Oceanside. Is is this Nathan's that has been there for, um, I believe, almost a hundred years now? I love Nathan's. Yeah, it's 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 a treasure of Oceanside. So, question. Okay. Relish or no relish? No relish. I'm sorry. Oh man. I am. Um, oh, I'm a okay. sauerkraut and mustard kind of guy. Um, the whole deal. Wow. Sauerkraut, mustard, relish. Okay. I'm sad. That's, you know, Debbie. We have um, we have a lot in common, but apparently this is a this is a this is a deal breaker. This is <laughs> <laughs> this isn't this isn't one, but uh, I'm sure we can find others. So your mom was a hippie. She was a um, Hare Krishna hippie. A Hare Krishna. Shaganatha Puri is Did... her uh, official um, name. She's an artist and and uh, calligrapher, and she now works at a Jewish community center. 
like every good reformed Hare Krishna hippie. Hare Krishna hippie. Did you go to satsangs when you were growing up? My mom was a hippie also, and I used to go to Friday night satsangs. No. Led by a man named Bless. Really? Really. On Long Island, we might have that's, met. That's amazing. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's an incredible woman, and yeah, she has incredible like outlook on life, and definitely some of it is from that experience. And so I always try to pick her brain and get to know more about it. It's really interesting. And she married your dad, yes. a dentist. Yeah, a dentist and a uh, and a hippie. So, in reading about you and in doing my research, I came across a presentation wherein you talked about. The valuable lesson that you learned from your dad, which was, don't be a dentist. Yeah. I, dentistry was not for me. I, I squirm at the sight of blood. I um, don't want to put my hand in anyone else's mouth ever. And he loves doing that. And that's something that is important to him. But um, for me, it definitely was very clear that I had a different passion. And he's very left brain and my mother's very right. And so I, I, I went the path of the creative and I definitely had a had an ability to, to draw and paint and that's really something that I enjoyed. So I quickly learned that I wasn't inheriting the center family dentistry. So you went to SUNY Buffalo. I did. I went to SUNY Albany. I knew that in my research that I did. Um, to SUNY New York. We are the um, products of the SUNY school system. Yeah, I mean, I um, in my talk, I, I I said don't go to Buffalo, but I said that and I don't think I meant it. I really I really did learn a ton there, and I, I really had a great I had a great experience in school, and um, they have a great communication design program. So tell me what you mean by communication design. Um, the talk that you just referenced was a talk that you gave at the Dialine Conference earlier this year. And you talk about the tension between the words communication and design and how you resolve that or how you don't. So can you talk a little bit about how you have begun to understand how we communicate in design or about design as designers? I think there's a big difference between the craft of graphic design and the communication of graphic design. I think people um, use them interchangeably and something that looks beautiful might not be great design. And so I think at school, that was one of the first things they taught me that they're not going to teach me how to use Photoshop or how to do a clipping path in Illustrator. They're going to teach me how to think and make design that connects and relates to people and has a message. And for me, that was a big lesson and something that I still um, is, a, is, a, is a main point in my, in my talk where I talk about package design, where I say, you know, package design doesn't need to be beautiful. It needs to relate to people and it needs to tell a good story. Is something or can something be beautiful that's bad design? And can you think of something that you might use as an example Design has become very ubiquitous in terms of um, its beauty and people having the talent to operate the kind of software of the Adobe Creative Suite and create something that looks visually stunning and looks something that people would consider to be beautiful and well-designed and has, you know, a, a nice font mixed with a good logo or an icon. And we see all that on these sites like Behance and the dial line for packaging. And so you see all of that design and everyone uses it in a way as, as reference for great design. And so at some point, I feel like a lot of that design starts to 
feel like one person's design and not design that um, is meant to to stand out from the crowd and and really tell a unique story about what the the brand or whatever restaurant or whatever the the, the actual design itself is, and so for me that's that's kind of something I learned at school and something that. Um, vitamin water, the, the, the brand has really taught me it's, it's not necessarily about what everyone views as beautiful and everyone believes is something that is aesthetically pleasing, but it's something that is well-designed. There's such a big dichotomy between what is often considered good design and mass market products that you find in a supermarket. And in many cases, people feel that those are diametrically opposed, that you can't find really good design um, in a supermarket unless it's designed by Louis Feely. The great. The great, of course. And years and years ago, I mean, like a decade ago, I, I was jurying an AIGA competition where we were looking at package design. That was the category that I was a juror for and got into a pretty heavy-duty debate, is putting it nicely, um, with the other jurors who felt that anything mass market could not be considered good design. And yet you see what happens when changes are made to products that might not have been considered beautiful to begin with and suddenly something changes and people are writing petitions on moveon.org and gathering 50,000 signatures to bring back the old design. The Tropicana experience. Well, that wasn't so much what I was referring to. I was actually referring to the yeah. the college in California that right. wherein um, 50,000 people or so signed a petition because they wanted the old logo to come back. The old logo was not an example of what I would consider to be especially riveting design. Um, I was confused by that as well. I thought the new design was 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 interesting and different and i thought that's why it worked for me and i thought they you know the old the old design felt like what is kind of the expected badge of a corporate you know of of a, of a college of an institution yeah and so yeah. i felt like the new design was trying to step out of that and break away and so do you think it's this sort of shock of the unfamiliar? Do you think that it's something that because we are because we grow up with a certain visual language, a certain visual vocabulary, that we as consumers become unwilling to see anything change? I don't think people love change in design. I think people are typically scared of change. I and I think they like to see their Tropicana or their Gap logos to be, you know, the one that they remember from their childhood, the one that their mom brought them home on Christmas. And the one they saw yesterday. The one they saw yesterday. And so their tolerance for change and they have a voice in that. And that's that's something that I think is totally unique. And in the past maybe you didn't have to listen to the voice of the people or someone might say something. But now very quickly, the internet can can, can gather 150,000 signatures and tell you to go back. And that's something that is that is scary, but it's something that is, you know, it's it's a great lesson that your your brand is only, you know, it is more so that what people think it is or more so what people identify as your brand. And even sometimes you can control. 
it's about trust, I guess. You know, you trust that Oreos are going to taste a certain way and look a certain way. You come to the shelf, you see that they no longer look that way, and then you don't trust them anymore. Yeah, absolutely. You, you have to regain somebody's trust. Yeah, and these are brands that have been around for a really long time. And the, while the product itself is most of the time is not changing, the just the idea that the branding, you know, they 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 can lose some of that credibility and some of that um, history. And, and, and so I think Consumers are scared of that, and I think brands are, are 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 scared of that as well. They don't want to feel like they're losing the, you know, the equity that they've built as a brand. So let's go back in history a little bit to your beginnings with Vitamin Water. I understand that you got an interview with the company that makes Vitamin Water when you were twenty-one years old. The brand was already taking off, but it was still relatively tiny. What made you decide to work there? What made me want to work there was the environment and the culture and the people. And seeing the amount of passion that people had for what they were doing made it seem immediately like it was the perfect place for me. I had interviewed with a bunch of different places. And as soon as I walked into the office at Vitamin Water, I met our creative director, Chad Hogan, and he and I just clicked immediately. He had this big um, hip-hop design background, and so we started talking about music. And at the time, they had just hired about 30 sport figures to promote the brand around the country. And he didn't know sports that well. He's a skateboarder. Oh. Cool hip-hop guy. And so I had the Knicks background. And you I, interned. So you interned with the Knicks. I did, yeah. The internship that I got with the Knicks was something that I, you know, I living 45 minutes out of New York City, um, just basically contacted all of the brands and companies and teams and the things that I was interested in um, around New York City, just trying to get involved. And so my professor and the head of the communication design program wasn't too pleased with my my choice in the New York Knicks because he, he wanted me to do this incredible internship program with Milton Glaser and he wanted to submit me and he felt like I had a chance and um, he thought I was good enough to, to be a part of this prestigious program. And I fought hard to to intern for the New York Knicks because I was such a big sports fan and I wanted to be behind the scenes on my favorite basketball team. And uh, I found out that sports design um, is not as much fun as watching sports on TV and being a fan. Like sports really, for the most part, Ticket sales are are determined by wins and losses and how good a team is. And when were I, you working for the Knicks? I have uh, a feeling I know the answer to this. Yeah, it was uh, 2006. The team was just a real bad, bad, a bad basketball team at the time. And then the Knicks had gone through just years of of, of poor management. And that's why Isaiah Thomas is, is my my arch nemesis. And so I got to, to work with him and meet him. And so... It was a great experience in, in the end, but I definitely um, today on Design Matters, I probably should have went with the Milton Glaser opportunity. <laughs> but it, it is, um, but it, it ultimately led to the job really at Vitamin Water. So um, I have no regrets. So Vitamin Water is owned by a company. The, the the sort of holding company is Energy Brands. Is that correct? Yeah, Energy Brands was kind of the first name for. Glasso, which is the company that makes vitamin water and smart water. And so they, they were the company that hired me um, out of college. And so Darius Bykov created this company in 1996. Yep. 
It was the year that the Spice Girls, America Online, and the Macarena were all the rage. Um, It was also the year that there was a water contamination scare in New York City. So um, urban myth has it that Darius hit the books and discovered that one of the purest ways to make water is via something called a hydrologic cycle. Can you explain what a hydrologic cycle is exactly? It is the uh, the process, um, you know, going back to my fourth grade science textbooks, but it is the process that um, water is created from in, in natural form in the environment. So when it comes from a cloud and then it rains and then it kind of gets evaporated up into the into back up into the clouds. And so this is not how most bottled water in the market is made. And so he kind of liked the fact that all the water on the market was spring water. And so he saw this as an opportunity to make a pure more crisp, more delicious tasting water. And so he created smart water based on that philosophy and that idea. So he named his first water Glacier. Is that correct? Yes. And worked with Philippe Stark to create a proprietary package. But it was a really strange looking bottle. And the closure was the weirdest part of it. Can you describe it for our listeners? I've actually never seen it in person. I've seen the the photographs. And the only way I would describe it is that it comes to a point that looks like a nipple. <laughs> and it is gorgeous and interesting, but I guess it never made it to market. And But it definitely shows off the type of thinking and designer that Darius w- wanted the brand to be. Um, he wanted a brand that stood for great, amazing, unique design. On May 25th, 2007, a little less than one year after you arrived, the Coca-Cola company acquired vitamin water for $4.1 billion in cash. Did you get really rich? I got so rich. Every single person that worked for the company had stocks and and share in the company. So that went from the mailroom guy to the, uh, you know... To the designer. To the designer. I was 21 years old and... That is just so amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, (laughs) If I had been there for a few more years... um, You wouldn't be here. You'd be in the Bahamas. I would still be here. No, I would... uh, I mean, to be totally honest, um, a lot of really talented people that did make a lot of money, none of them went to the Bahamas those people were so passionate about getting out the brand and the dream and to convince and to share the brand with everyone and anyone that would that would listen that would try it that had never heard of it or was you know scared by the packaging or scared by the look of the brand why were they scared i think at the time i think generally brands typically have a beautiful like try me, I'm going to be delicious design to them. And I think our brand has a look of like, it's very clinical, it's very medicinal um, in its look and feel. And I think that's something that stood out immediately on shelf. But it's also something that made people say, oh, I'm not going to drink that. What is that? That looks scary. That looks dangerous. So Alex, I have three bottles here in front of me. I have the Triple X Zero. I have the 
Power C, and I have Vitamin Water Zero Squeezed, my favorite. Um, if you were just to go to the shelf and, and pull these down or open up a fridge and take it out, what do you what do you hope that somebody is seeing and, and perceiving and experiencing? The first thing a normal brand would say would be that's lemonade, that's pomegranate, and that's dragon fruit. And vitamin water takes the completely unique aspect of saying, no, this is triple X, this is squeezed, this is power C, this is revive. When you go to the shelf and you see this product, it's not necessarily which flavor do I want? It's what do I need in my life? Mm -hmm. Instead of just kind of listing the ingredients and saying, oh, this is taurine or this is vitamin A and, and zinc. It explains it to you in a way that is funny and is interesting. and that That's also pretty telegraphic. And it's very telegraphic. I think consumers, even more so now in 2013, are looking for products that fit a role in their life. They're doing so much research on the brands that they love and so much research on the things that they put into their bodies. And so I think there's just an intelligence to the vitamin water brand that it talks to people like they're smart and it assumes that they don't want to just list the ingredients. They want to be kind of entertained and educated at the same time. So you've been with vitamin water now for eight years. I think, yes. And you design all the packaging you write romance copy, you name flavors, and you create advertising. I don't write all the romance copy. I have tried to nail the vitamin water tone and the voice of the brand, which is um, extremely important. But um, yes, all those other things I have done. Yeah. I, I love some of the copy. I wanted to read just one. Sure. This is for the Power C flavor. And this is the romance copy. The stuff is red and has something to do with vitamin C. Whatever. The real issue, it tastes like dragon fruit. Where did it come from? Why the majestic flavor name? Did King Arthur eat dragon fruit? Is there a cave in England filled with centaur and unicorn fruit? Your mind just exploded, huh? So... Where did this tone come from? Debbie, your voice is perfect for the vitamin water romance copy. <laughs> Thank you. I've been practicing and I still didn't even do it it's as well real, as I had it's, before it's, in it's, rehearsal. It's so good. Uh, your voice just is tremendous. Perfect for uh, <laughs> podcasting and radio. So um, the voice of the brand really came from um, one singular writer. And she kind of – the early brief was to – explain what the product does in a way that's meant for people and something that is educational, entertaining, but also hilarious. And so the vitamin water romance copy is something that I think is one of the biggest parts of the brand's success. And I think it's something that has been instrumental in building the brand to what it is today. And it's something that at the time was totally unique for a product to talk to a person in a human voice and have a voice for a brand that's funny. Has your approach to the actual practical design changed? Do you still work in the same way? How do you go about designing something for a global brand? Well, I think that was a lesson we learned very quickly from Coca-Cola. They had built that Turner Duckworth 
2006 visual identity system that um, won all those countless awards, and it's perfect. But the best part about it is it is a true brand design system in that every single aspect of the brand is interchangeable or has the ability to to stretch across so many different avenues of the brand being such a giant global brand. We were dealing with design in a very much uh, one-off way, which is kind of how a younger brand would think um, we're going to be in action sports. So we're going to find a way to do action sports in the vitamin water tone, or we're going to be in this Super Bowl ad. So we will do a, a Super Bowl vitamin water type ad. And so when you don't have a system built that can handle scale like that, and the brand starts splintering off into all these different places, music, sports, fashion, you you start to very quickly say, you start to become or take the kind of design equities of those other avenues. And Coca-Cola has really taught us that it's like, no, Coke is always first. And then the partnership is seen through the eyes of the Coca-Cola iconic bottle or script or something like that. Do you ever feel that you're number two to number one big behemoth brand older sister kind of thing? Absolutely. <laughs> and it's and it's unfair and it's very difficult to create work that is compared to that incredible brand that everyone has a connection with, everyone loves, everyone can recognize. And it's been around for 125 years We've been around for less than 20 and really less than like 10 really um, in market. So it's, 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 it's hard to compare the two brands and the, the connection that people have. But I do think there are similarities in that vitamin water created the enhanced water vitamin category. And also um, people definitely have a connection with the brand that they love and the first time that you and I met, you said, I love vitamin water. I drink a squeezed every morning. <laughs> and that is something that, I, that I, ha- I have a lot of conversations with people that love the brand. So tell us about this 50 Cent story. You told him, he told you rather that you must think you're pretty special. What were you doing that sort of motivated that comment? It doesn't seem to me like it would be something that somebody would just say unprompted. Sure. Um, 50 Cent um, is a long-term partner for the vitamin water brand. And so one of my early assignments working for the vitamin water brand was to come up with a creative campaign to leverage the 50 Cent um, partnership. And so um, under the guidance of uh, the creative director, I came up with a campaign where we put 50 Cent in an actual laboratory Um, in Queens, where the company was at the time. We had a, a real beverage laboratory where food scientists are actually crafting and creating the product. And it's a really fun part of the brand is to be in there, kind of try all the different variations of each flavor. And we do a lot of tasting and we as a group really impact the beverage that way. And so the idea that we came up with was that 50 Cent should be the food scientist that creates his own flavor. And so we built him out a huge laboratory and we had him in this lab coat and the first day that we were on set, they were explaining to him what was happening and what we were going to do. And he said, you see this kid over here? He's the one that came up with all of this. And so he walked up to me, kind of like put his hand really aggressively on my shoulder and kind of tried to be a tough guy to me and kind of scare me and said, you must think you're pretty special. And I was terrified. But he actually... um 
is one of the nicest people and one of the smartest that I've ever worked with. He really is is a, is a great businessman and super intelligent guy, as well as one of my favorite rappers. Last year, you were named one of the 200 best packaging designers in the world. And one of the things that you said uh, after that was, the thing I love most is brands. And I think that that's when I first knew that I would like you, uh, mostly because I have this crazy love affair with brands. And I have spent most of my career trying to understand why I have this fascination. And so when I hear somebody else say that, the only thing I want to ask is, why? Why do you love brands most? Why? I love brands because I feel like everybody has a connection and a love for what they drink, what they wear, um, and all of the great brands that they use in their life and it, it it helps define who they are as a person and I love the connection that people have with brands and I love the fact that um, for me I thought when I was growing up in the 90s I felt like the brands that I loved were somehow targeting me and finding me magically and I thought that I was like there are definitely people behind the scenes that are purposely getting me to wear these brands and to love these brands, and I am fascinated by that, and I want to be a part of it. I thought the Keebler elves were real. They, they're not real? <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're real. Someone's got to make those cookies. <laughs> Alex, this is my last question. I understand that you have an obsession with prosciutto yes. and are on a never-ending quest for the freshest prosciutto in New York City. Have you found it? If so, where is it? I love the prosciutto at Crispo. It's on uh, 14th and here on the west side. Okay. Um, I, they might have the freshest but I'm still on the the, the search. Um, it is um, something that I was introduced to actually in the the early days of vitamin water when we would uh, we'd grab a lunch in uh, Hero in Queens, and I would at the time I was a young kid, and I had only I'd I'd only had you know the turkeys and the hams and the uh, the roast beefs of the world, and someone introduced me to a fresh prosciutto. Um, mozzarella hero from <laughs> Queens, and I was hooked. And now I go to the fanciest restaurants in New York trying to find it. Alex, thank you so much for being on Design Matters today. You can find out more about Alex Center at thealexcenter.com. I'd like to thank you for listening. And remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Design Matters with Debbie Millman is recorded at the Masters in Branding Studio at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. It is produced by Curtis Fox Productions, with technical assistance by Rainey Ortica. The show is published exclusively by designobserver.com. You can subscribe to this free podcast in the iTunes store.